0: Welcome, all you happy warriors, eager devotees of this, the Rabbi Daniel Appenshow, spiritually grounded in everything that is life-affirming, devoted to your faith, your families, your finances, and your friends, knowing that you can triumph over those who both intentionally and unknowingly promote a dark and abyss of satanic secular socialism and all the many evil social pathologies it generates. When I reveal how the world really works, it's in the hope that you will help me defeat those pathetic creatures of modern secular fundamentalism, those orphans in history who possess neither Christian fortitude nor even pagan ferocity, which would almost be welcome, those hideous hermaphrodites and fanatical feminists running our media, education, and government bureaucracies, who possess neither the strength of men nor the intuitive wisdom of women. But, oh, what damage they manage to inflict. But never fear. Here on the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, I solemnly commit to help you transform timidity to triumph. Together, we will replace diffidence with determination and displace the divided counsels of doubt with the steady eyes and firm hearts of those who, just like us, know where they are going and know just how they're going to get there. Yes, we strive for success, first with our families and our faith, then our finances and our friends, forming bonds of the like-minded, after which we will be ready to take on the formidable task of saving our frighteningly fragile civilization, from those who would force us to surrender our freedoms and our souls, to the whims and dictates of those who consider themselves to be our superiors, our elites, our betters, our bosses, and our rulers." But before we change the world, we have to change ourselves, and that's really what this show is all about. We're changing ourselves, and one of the ways we do that is by developing an accurate picture of how the world really works. It makes it much easier, then, to make the necessary changes in ourselves and in our families and in our lives— to bring about the desired conclusion. Well, one of the areas that is, I think, an area in which the population is kept deliberately in the dark is how money works, the nature of business, the nature of wealth creation. And whilst one can never indict someone else because of what one believes is the motivation of the other side, one can certainly indict an action or inactivity, in this case, a flagrant failure to provide any measure of education at all in kindergarten through 12th grade about money and wealth and uh, creation of wealth and business and budgeting and taxation. No, none of these things are mentioned at all. They're not discussed. And my belief, I have no evidence for this, my belief is that the reason for that is that financial illiteracy on the part of a population makes it a population easier to enslave with the seductive promises of security By the government and so as long as people know little about money and understand even less they become much more vulnerable to the enticements that are beamed out from government all the time what you did not get a free obama phone oh you got three of them oh well that's all right that's good that's right You know, when uh, children are asked to describe what their fathers and mothers do in occupations, there are some occupations that children find very easy to explain, and there are others that are extraordinarily difficult. When children are asked to explain uh, what their father, uh, a policeman, does uh, it's easy for a child to say I mean everyone knows what a policeman does Uh, what does a soldier do yeah yeah I can explain that that's easy taxi driver sure fireman oh that's a good one right what kid doesn't wish his father was a fireman always easy to explain that and uh bus driver yeah of course easy pilot yeah great one I mean nobody says pilot what do they do right that's clear um a builder right my father builds houses my father builds uh, buildings fine got it perfect um my father's a teacher okay all all very straightforward easy to explain but what do we do when the child says my father is a real estate broker, and then we say, well, what exactly does your father or your mother, the real estate broker, do? And it's a little harder to understand, right? Well, he, he, sells, um, he, he sells houses or buildings. Well, when my father wanted to sell our car, he just put an ad on the uh, internet and then people came and uh, somebody bought it like why doesn't the owner of the building just sell it what does your father do exactly when you say he's a real estate broker it's a problem Um, your parent is a chief executive officer the the head of a company well what do they do well last time uh, my father took me to work on take your kid to work day well, he sort of sat behind the desk, and he spoke to a lot of people on the phone. And then a few people came in and poked their head in and asked him questions, and he answered. And then he had lunch with a friend, and they took me as well, and I had ice cream. And then after lunch, he came back and spoke to more people on the phone. Really? And that, that's what he does? Yeah, that's what he does. Uh, my father's a wholesale merchant. Really? Really? and what does he do? I really don't, <laughs> I really haven't the faintest idea. My mother or my father is an investment banker. What do they do? What do they do? Um, my father is a, a job recruiter. What does he do? Well, um, he helps people find jobs and, uh, he helps, uh, Places that need workers find workers. Well, why do they need your father? Why don't the places that need workers put an advertisement? When my mom needed a nanny for us, she just put an advertisement in the paper and then on the internet, and then a nanny came. So, places that need workers should just put a, uh, an advertisement up and then people who need jobs will apply. I don't understand what your father, a recruiter, actually does. It's as if we have two categories of occupations here, right? One category of occupations, and I'm sure you could add to it extensively, as, as could I, are these jobs like, you know, bus driver or fireman or pilot that are really easy to explain. All right, I'm a carpet cleaner okay, I really don't need a lot of explanation. I know exactly what you do. It's simple and straightforward. But then you've got this other whole category of occupations that are a whole lot more complicated. Hard to explain. I'm, I'm a sales professional. What do you do? Well, uh, I go and visit stores that carry the products of my uh, employer, and uh, I uh, encourage them to purchase items that their uh, customers would appreciate and would want to purchase from them. Well, why don't they just pick up the phone and order them from your employer? What's your role exactly? Well, my role, I can tell you, must be pretty important because it pays very well. Yeah, sales professionals make very good money, as so they should, because they play an absolutely vital role in commerce. Yeah, but what what is that role? Well, it's, it's not that easy, is it? We seem to have categories, jobs and occupations that are self-explanatory, and others that seem to require uh, a great deal of explanation. They're not at all easy to understand. What exactly does a CEO do, the head of a company, particularly to uh, justify uh, very often stratospheric salaries? Well, let's take a look at uh, the Ford Motor Company in 2005-2006. It was such a disaster that its share price Uh, got down to uh, about a dollar now right now at the time i'm preparing this show it's you know somewhere in the vicinity of ten dollars uh but before that it had been up closer to 20 and now it was down to like a dollar uh ford was viewed almost as junk status investment and uh uh two thousand and six it had a thirteen billion dollar loss. Imagine what that means for a major car company, a billions of thirteen billion dollar loss. Uh people thought it would file for bankruptcy. Um it, it really was uh was was it, was it was largely over. And uh one of the problems is that the, the company <clears throat> the company was not a, really a car company anymore. Uh, It had become essentially a pension fund company uh, for accumulated pension liabilities over the years. And more seriously, it had become a finance company, Ford Finance, where in good times, people had uh, borrowed large sums of money to buy their Ford cars. And of course, time went by and as things deteriorated, loans went bad and, uh, and that dragged Ford down completely. So what did they do? What they needed was a CEO. Now, is a CEO just somebody who comes with knowledge, technique, experience? No. A CEO has to come with credibility, reputation. He's got to be somebody who builds up the faith of everybody in the company, from line workers on the assembly, you know, all the way up to board members, all the way up. And uh, so what they did is they went and uh, found a guy called Alan Mulally, who for 37 years had been at Boeing in Seattle, and um, he he had a, a, a spectacular record. And that's why track record is so important, because when Ford hired Mulally as the CEO, they didn't know that his... Uh, knowledge that he had acquired in the auto, in the uh, aero industry at Boeing would apply in for, at Ford. He didn't know, you know, they didn't know that, but they knew that he was somebody who would be able to uh, build the faith back of the company, and and sure enough, that's exactly what happened. Three months after he became CEO, he was became CEO, I think, in September, twenty o six, and in November, before the end of the year, he. Uh, stood before representatives of several of the major banks in the country. And uh, what had happened was that the Ford was in such bad shape that in order to just sort of pick things up, they needed about $25 billion. That's a lot of money. Uh, That's what they needed. And uh, nothing had yet changed. All that had happened was his name had gone up on the CEO's door and uh, the news reports went out that he had accepted the position as CEO at Ford. And Alan Mulally spoke to the banks 10 days later. 10 days later, they gave him 24, actually $24 billion. And, uh, and you know, from then, from then onwards, he started putting things right and building it up. But people were inspired and Ford was restored. And this is just one of so many, literally, I mean, I could do an entire book on cases where seemingly hopeless business situations uh, were rectified by the right person in the top job, not because he was a technocrat, not because he came with all kinds of uh, specific background and experience, but because of the totality of his being. And that he, he, he was able, and this was in Ford and in many, many other companies, uh, the person coming in was able to fill everybody with faith. Let's, let's keep at this. We can make this work. And sure enough, that's exactly what happens. So um, I will explain as we move a little bit forward in the show then. Uh, as we move towards me giving you three specific spiritual strategies for the purpose of expanding and growing and developing your business, no matter what it is. Even if you think you're actually an employee, not an entrepreneur, I want you to start rethinking and begin to see yourself as an entrepreneur. And I'll explain more about that just as soon as we come back. Um, You know, most of the times when I uh, promote for your attention products, that we have created for you here at Life Codex Publishing. Uh, they are usually electronic digital downloads because if you're listening to the podcast, that's probably something you're comfortable and familiar with. And so uh, today, however, I want to stress something else, and that is the pleasure of holding a book in your hand, uh, the pleasure of being able to mark up the book. The pleasure of being able to fold down a page if you want or tuck in a uh, a relevant piece of paper on which you've made some other notes. But when you hold a book in your hands, there are things you can do, especially if you have a markup, you know, a, a yellow highlighter with you. And And so I want to suggest that you take a look at some of the books we have available. Why? Because right now, for the next few days, There is a free shipping deal. So you don't pay any shipping. That's, by the way, in the United States of America. Uh, Make a note of the code you will use in order to get the free shipping offer. It's ship free. Okay, S-H-I-P-F-R-E-E, one word. And uh, take a look. You know, there is uh, a collection of thought tools. Take a look at those. Um, They're enormously useful. Uh, Then, of course, there is buried treasure, but I'll tell you more about that a little bit later. For now, let's take a quick break, and then I'm going to be right back. Welcome back, everybody. Your rabbi, dedicated, no, solemnly dedicated, to revealing how the world really works, especially for you. Now, in the uh, previous segment, I was talking about certain jobs that are difficult to describe. Children have trouble explaining what exactly their mother or father, who's a real estate broker, does. Wholesale merchant, what do they actually do? Investment banker, what do they do? A job recruiter, what do they do? Business broker, what do they do? And children are not at all the only ones who've had trouble explaining that. Uh, the great uh, Aust- Austrian or German economist, Friedrich Hayek, uh, The the Road to Serfdom, Fatal Conceit, uh, good stuff. Um, he, he used a phrase that stuck with me. Uh, when, speaking about the way money is made um, in in less visible ways. In other words, uh, all those other things I was talking about: taxi driver, fireman, pilot, policeman, soldier, teacher, builder. All of those are really clear. You can see the person doing it, and. Um, in the past, I've referred to the different ways in which people treat the LeBron James of the world and uh, and and uh, CEOs. Where with LeBron James, uh, with huge sums of money he makes, um, people say, "Well, it's understandable." You know, no, nobody says he's overpaid. But how frequently one hears accounts of uh, CEOs, business leaders, entrepreneurs being overpaid? Why? Well, first of all, they say, oh, well, LeBron James is not going to be able to work forever. Well, a CEO is only as good as his latest triumph. Uh, I'm afraid the bench is filled with CEOs who did wonders for one company, failed in the next, and have never been hired since. One need only think of uh, Ron Johnson, who did very well at um, Target, he was a marketing guy. Came to Target, and uh, and really uh, beefed up their their sales. So from there, Apple hired him, and uh, he came up with the idea of the Genius Bar and making the Apple stores such fun places to visit. Uh, all of that Ron Johnson did, and for that he was paid uh, about thirty million dollars a year. Uh, which, interestingly enough, is about the same as what LeBron James makes a year. Well, you say, well, uh, Ron Johnson got various stock options as well. In other words, to incentivize him, if he actually raised the value of the share price by the result of his marketing efforts, then he would benefit from that as well. And sure enough, he did. Uh, And then, of course, LeBron James has the equivalent of that, which is uh, endorsements. And uh, he makes around about another $30 million on top of his salary out of endorsements. So the similarities between, the, uh, between LeBron James and a CEO are very similar, excepting that after Apple, so there's Ron Johnson doing great at Target. Apple seizes him. He does fantastically, and he's a real hero, uh, makes a lot of money. And then uh, J C. Penny hires him. And uh, I don't want to spend too much on the story. It's, it's a great story. It's fascinating and filled with really uh, revealing insights and important principles. But the bottom line is that uh, Ron Johnson was a disaster at JCPenney. The strategies and techniques that he used at, uh, at Apple simply were not applicable. Uh, Apple gets people to pay a very high price for a premium product. Hello, J.C. Penny. not exactly the same idea. Anyway, you can almost write the script yourself. And uh, from that, as soon as um, the board of J.C. Penny fired him, and he's not been offered another job since then. So it's not that different, you see. Uh, it's possibly a sports personality reaches a point either age-wise or because he's not performing, uh, exactly like a CEO. And uh, what's Ron Johnson doing these days? When, when last I uh, checked into it, uh, he'd sort of done a startup. He'd tried um, he'd to build a marketing consultancy or something. I have no idea how it's going, but I do understand. That's, you know, when nobody will hire you, start your own business. Sometimes it works out well, turns out to be a blessing, sometimes not. But uh, there's no question that he's not making even anything approaching what he made at Apple um, now that he's, and by the way, uh, J.C. Penny paid him very highly indeed. Although um, it, you know they quickly saw he wasn't producing, and they they got rid of him. Uh, so the similarities are there, excepting that there are far more criticisms out there in the culture against CEO salaries than you find against sports figure salaries. Again, the reason, the reason is exactly what we were talking about, namely that everybody understands what LeBron James does, right? We we all, all of us look at him and say, you know what, I couldn't do that. <laughs> Firstly, the guy's huge. And secondly, he plays in a way that none of us could do it. So yeah, we get, we understand why he gets the big bucks, but nobody understands what a CEO does. What exactly was Ron Johnson doing? Or for that matter, what was Alan Mulally doing at Ford? Like, how did he spend his day? And, as Friedrich Hayek said, the stink of sorcery. It looks like he just the money just came in a way I don't get. So why should he deserve the big bucks? I mean, if all he does is sit at a desk and talk on the phone and go to lunch, I could do that as well. And so obviously the resentments are are real and they build. And this really is one of the main reasons, not the only reason by any means, but it's one of the reasons that there has been anti-Semitism. When I speak about why the world hates the Jews, one of the reasons is that because of ancient Jewish wisdom and because of biblical understanding, Jews have always had a clear insight into how to make money in a way that doesn't necessarily involve tangible objects or tangible actions and so you know throughout history um the, the i think perhaps the longest enduring occupation is farming right and farming is arduous labor so you just imagine a uh, an early neighborhood or community or society <clears throat> and uh And you got the majority of people working on the farm from sunrise to sunset and working hard. And then in 1750, the date I assigned to the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, uh, so a number of people moved from the farm to the factories. But again, arduous, arduous work. Meanwhile, down the road is some Jew who is living clean hands, no visible toil, and all he's doing is running the local store. He's selling things that are manufactured by some factory where you work, and he's selling them at prices you can't afford. And then he goes home at five o'clock, and his shirt is still clean, and his hands are clean. Look, he's he's living slightly better than you and that's really where the resentment builds in other words most people do not have resentment against the you know the hugely far-off distant rich people they're out of reach and so we don't think to ourselves well you know uh, i i could be warren buffett or i could be bill gates no i don't think in those terms but, uh, you know, how about a person who I sort of think of as basically similar to me, except making twice the money I make? Yeah, you know, I, that, 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 that can cause resentment if I allow it to, right? And so there you've got these Jewish storekeepers and, um, yes, creating enormous resentment because when you fall into the trap of believing that we live in only a physical world, a materialistic world, then only things you can see or touch have value, and working and producing those things are being productive. But the Jew in the middle, and it's not always a Jew, by the way, in, in Kenya it was Indians, um, in, uh, on the other side in West Africa, it was actually Lebanese people, uh, were also were the sort of Jews of West Africa. And uh, East Indians were the, the Jews of Kenya. And very, very very similar kind of resentment uh, because they look at these people who are living comfortably, maybe more comfortably than they are. And they don't seem to be doing, all they're doing is selling at a markup things that other people create, things that other people build so this this is an enormous fallacy because you look at these people and now you know back to bankers or merchants wholesale merchants or uh brokers like what's the broker doing there right, and you say look this is uh, this is a parasite he's he's just overcharging other people we don't even need him there um that's exactly what we're talking about, meaning that the, the, the simpleton, the person who views the world as only a materialistic undertaking, looks at the real estate broker and says, I don't get it. I don't know why we need him. What do we have to pay him 3% or 6% for? Let the buyer Go around and look for sale signs. And they can, anyone who wants to sell their house, put a big for sale sign outside because most people who want to buy a house know the, roughly the area they want to buy in. So they'll drive around the area. When they see a for sale sign, they go knock on the door, they make a note of the phone number and phone. What do you need brokers for? Why should brokers have to be involved and add to the cost? They are the ones who are adding to the cost of housing. That's the whole problem. And people don't understand that this is not a transaction between a cow and a camel. It's not a transaction between two computers. It's a transaction between two human beings, two spiritual entities. And that means that it becomes rather complicated because the value now is very difficult to discern. On the one hand, the family that has lived in the house for 25 years, raised their children there, have a house full of happy memories, to them, in their heart, it's worth more than it is to a stranger who sees the house. All he sees are all the changes he's going to have to make and all the repairs he's going to have to do and the modifications he's going to have to do until it's the place that he wants to live in and make his own memories in. And that emotional disconnect... Is strong enough to avoid, to almost rule out the possibility of a transaction. The people, they will bristle each other. The buyer and seller will not easily make a deal and it'll be resentful. Along comes the broker and keeps them apart. He talks to the buyer, he talks to the seller, he helps move each person in the direction of the transaction that both want and he makes it happen because he can remove the emotional uh, involvement, the emotional areas. That's, so that's one aspect of why we need the, uh, the the broker involved. But it gets to be considerably more interesting, I think, as we look a little bit more deeply into how it is that as a society or a culture becomes more and more materialistic, as a society and culture abandon any form of spiritual connection, uh, when they obliterate any religious transcendence, the end result is you move towards materialism. And when you're a materialistic person, envy builds up because the more materialistic you are, the less capable you are of understanding how money is really made. All right, we're going to go to a quick break. The website is rabbidaniellappin.com. Got it? Rabbi rabbidaniellappin.com. And uh, if you head over there, take a look at the book section because the real books we've got, and some, I mean, Thou Shall Prosper, Business Secrets from the Bible, Buried Treasure, Thought Tools Volume 1, 2, and 3. Uh, hands-off, This May Be Love. Uh, There are many, many books on our site, some of which are really going to be useful to you, either as gifts or as conversation centerpieces for your family and for your friends. And um, here's the nice thing. Right now, for a few days, we've got a free shipping deal going on. So that means you can buy big, heavy things like books, and not pay for their shipping, as long as you live in the United States. And the code to use there is ship free. All right, S H I P F R E. Ship free. You got it. Uh, so have a look at RabbiDanielLappin.com. Go to the store. Go to the book section of the store and buy away for your pleasure and mine. Your rabbi, that's me. Back with you in just a moment. So, here we are, back together again, the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, moving forward as we reveal how the world really works. And sadly, one of the ways the world really works is that uh, people who have been reduced to materialistic beings develop resentments. Against those who make money. And so sure enough, uh, what happened in August 1965 in Los Angeles, um, there was a really bad guy. Um, he had quite a record and he was actually on parole for armed robbery when he was stopped for speeding recklessly in a car. And uh, his mom, um, one of the passengers in the car ran to call his mother, and his mother came, and one thing led to another, and uh, there were six days of rioting in Los Angeles, August 65. And uh, the the damage was tremendous. Uh, there, there were deaths. The property damage was huge. And uh, among the people who suffered most heavily in the property damage were all the Jewish store owners in that area of Los Angeles known as Watts. And Jews had set up uh, stores in that area, oh gosh, uh, in the, the 40s and 50s. And so um, here comes 1965. And again, you know, it's, it's, it's a sad thing. If you're going to riot, it would be nice to riot over a saint, you know, Joan of Arc. Okay, I'll I'll take a pitchfork into the street, but over a small-time robber who really victimized almost everybody he came into contact with, and on account of him, the neighborhood goes up in flames for six days, and in a way, in a way, that area has never really recovered. What happened? Well, uh, for a start jews love jewish store owners uh it, it was almost as if the crowd vented its hatred and its resentment and its angers on these people who operated the stores and if you look at some of the los angeles times reports of the period you'll see that uh, there were a number of black people in the area who said quite correctly you know who said they, they were sorry this happened. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't them, obviously. And they said, you know, these, these Jews operated stores in our neighborhoods where nobody else did. They extended credit to us. They were always helpful. And now they're gone. And sure enough, they, they never came back. They never rebuilt there. And for some of them, it turned into a real financial tragedy and, uh, and tremendous hardship. But anyway, that that ended that. The Jews never did come back there, but the Koreans did. And the Koreans set up uh, stores and again began serving the community. And all was well until April 1992, when another horrible human being called Rodney King—you'll notice, by the way, liberal media usually describe him as motorist Rodney King—but um, he was uh, strung out on uh, a severe form of, of drug and uh, resisting arrest. And sure enough, once again, no Joan of Arc, I can tell you, another riot, destroying the neighborhood, destroying houses, and yes, destroying the Korean stores. And uh, and they left as well after that. Why? Why take out the vengeance and the anger on the stores? Precisely for this reason. When you've become a a thoroughly materialistic human being, uh, when really there is no longer any spirituality in your life, an almost inevitable accompaniment to that is that uh, you no longer are able to understand the spirituality of money. You're no longer able to understand that money exists And money is created and wealth is built when human beings serve one another. And that one of the ways of serving one another is by running a store. Another way of serving one another is by securing financing for other businesses. You can call yourself an investment banker or you might be a wholesale merchant Uh, whatever it is, you're doing things that are not easily explainable. It's not like saying I drive a bus. Uh, When you say that I am a loan broker or a mortgage broker, it's hard to explain what that is and why it's necessary. And why aren't you a parasite just adding cost onto the system without producing anything? And for that reason, um, Stalin killed millions of Russian middlemen And people went along with it. Yeah, he was doing something good because prices will come down. Well, what really happened was uh, hunger and starvation because prices not only didn't come down, but the goods vanished because the people who used to uh, bring them from the the farms to the market uh, had been wiped out and obliterated. And so it all boils down to that one most important existential question of humanity and uh, and that is how did we human beings arrive on this planet and if you're going to rule out the theory that little green men came in spaceships and put us here which I think it's quite safe to do uh, it only leaves us two choices one choice is that the good lord created us in his image and put us here that's one choice Can't prove it. It's a choice. The other choice, and the only other choice, is that through a lengthy process of unaided materialistic evolution, primitive protoplasm turned into peanut peelers and pretzel twisters. That's the only other choice. One way or another, either we are here with God Or we're here without him those are the two choices and uh, if you adopt the second choice that we're here without god that we are just an entirely materialistic existence we are nothing but the result of random evolutionary mutations that we are nothing more than a few dollars worth of common chemicals then in that case eventually we are going to become people who cannot deal with money, and so it's not an accident that every atheistic regime has had a collapsed economy. They can't keep it going. Not possible, and every effective generator of wealth has had something that links them to the spiritual. Always been that way, and always will be that way. And so, that being the case, the reality is that money is at its root a spiritual thing. You can't put your finger on it, can you? After all, is money those discs of metal in your pocket, or is it strips of colored paper in your wallet? Or is it the orientation of iron oxide molecules in that brown magnetic strip behind your credit card? Or is it ones and zeros at your bank's computer? Or is it uh, when you take a check and you write it out to John Smith for $10 and you give it to him? Is that money? Or how about if you don't write anything, if you just shake hands with John Smith and say, I'll give you $10 on Friday? Is that money? Well, you see, it becomes pretty clear that we're dealing with something at its root that is fundamentally spiritual. And if money is spiritual, then it is sheer folly to attempt to get hold of some without employing spiritual strategies, without at least knowing the impact that spiritual strategies are going to have. Impossible. So we need to look at a couple of those. Well, if money is spiritual, how about a business? Well, take a look at it for a moment. Look how many different categories of people benefit from somebody who starts up a business. Firstly, the owner himself, the person who creates the business, benefits. Secondly, his customers benefit. Yes, Those storekeepers in Watts, yes, their customers benefited. And the proof is how miserable they were after the riots and the stores never came back. Those stores were good for them. Then we've got the people who supply that store, vendors who make a living filling the needs of that business. And how about the employees of the business who had jobs? And that's also something the Los Angeles Times reports on, by the way that a whole lot of jobs for young people vanished because these stores used to employ young people from the neighborhood. So, uh, uh, employees benefit. And then shareholders who help to finance the business, well, they benefit. And so, you see that here is an entity that benefits a number of different categories of people. Obviously, this is a very good thing. And not only is it a good thing, but it's spiritual in the sense that um, I I could come to you and say, listen, uh, would you please lend me $10 and I'll give you back $12 next Monday because I'm short of money today, but I'll have plenty next Monday because I'll be paid or whatever it is. And, and so $10 is worth more to me today than $12 on Monday. But... This is only true for human beings. There is no way, if one can even stretch one's imagination, that a dog would relinquish a bone he's gnawing on in exchange for two bones in a week's time. It's not possible. That's just not something dogs can do. Because the treating of differing values in the passage of time is, again, a spiritual attribute. And so I want to look at, or more than look at, I want to leave you with three very specific spiritual tools that I hope will be useful in whatever you do. If you are an entrepreneur, you have a business, that's great. But like most people, you are probably an employee of some, someone else's business. That may be true, but it still helps to begin to see yourself as a business. When you see yourself as a business, you begin to automatically be able to answer questions that may baffle you otherwise. Uh, Sometimes you're working and, uh, you know, there's there's a merger of departments or of companies, whatever it is you find yourself with three times more work than you used to do, and yet nothing's happened to your pay. Now, you know, how do you deal with that? Well, if you don't think of yourself as an employee, but you think of yourself as a business owner of you incorporated insert your own name for the you uh, you incorporated uh, you start realizing that you are a business entity supplying either you know labor or skills or experience or whatever it is you whatever it is your job is in that company and uh, the question is whether now that there's so much more demand for your services, can you raise your prices? Well, raising your prices is just a more accurate way of describing asking for a raise. And so it is many other questions begin to resolve themselves once you do understand that you are a business and nobody else in the whole world cares as much about your financial welfare as you do. And by the way, from a moral perspective, that's exactly the way it ought to be. And so uh, we'll, uh, we'll take a quick break. Before that, again, I want to tell you about the uh, special code at the website, com. Go over to the store section of the website. And um, what happens is that right now, for listeners of the show, for the next few days, there's free shipping, which means you can order books that normally weigh a lot and cost money to ship but now you can get them for free it's like having your own prime service at rabbidaniellappin.com and uh, i want you to take a look at some of the books depending where your interests lie there are two crucial financial books business secrets from the bible and thou shall prosper you may have read one already you may have read none of them go ahead Maybe there's somebody in your family or in your circle of influence that desperately needs a reset on their financial outlook. Somebody whose financial destiny needs to be changed for the remainder of this year. Well, get them a book. Easy. And, uh, You may be interested in the Lord's language. You may be interested in some of the ways that Hebrew reveals its divine origins, the ways in which it differs from any other language. Well, there's a book called Buried Treasure. There are also three volumes of thought tools. Anyway, you can read about them. Take a look at them more carefully at rabbidaniellappin.com. And um, if you decide to get something, which I hope you will, because it'll make both of us happy, uh, you will use the discount code Ship free, and that will give you your order without any shipping costs, and that is a great deal. Quick break, be back in a moment with three specific spiritual strategies for building your business. Remember, whether you are literally in business for yourself or whether you are an employee learning to see yourself as being your own company, uh, these three useful strategies coming right up. So, here we are then, I think reasonably clear on the underlying principle that uh, if you think we're here because primitive protoplasm turned into piano tuners and potato chip processors, through a process of nothing but random evolution well then you are going to have a materialistic outlook and for you money is a cause of resentment Uh, its mechanism of uh, of coming into being is obscure but if on the other hand your reality is that human beings are spiritual entities wrapped up in bodies, well then all of this makes sense in every way. And so let's look now at three ways in which a person who is spiritually conscious and spiritually aware can improve Their business performance, increase their revenue, experience, and bring about growth. How do you do it? Well, rule number one, okay, and uh, you may call this Rabbi Daniel Lappin's rule for biblical economic growth number one. Make a covenantal commitment to build your business, and remember that applies even if you see yourself as an employee, which you're going to stop doing. Uh, Look, uh, here's the problem. If you really do want to grow your business, you want to increase your revenue, it has to be a priority. And the priority, the word priority is a singular word. You know that, right? Anyone says I've got four priorities is talking nonsense. <laughs> it's abusing the English language beyond anything it was meant to sustain. Uh, priority is only one thing. And so the problem is if that if I say that building your business has to be your priority, well, it becomes a problem because you'll turn around quite legitimately to me and say, "Well, wait a second, my family is my priority. Uh, my faith is my priority um, i have I have other things, and you're right you're absolutely right. Uh, your family does come before everything but uh, and your faith, yeah, that's also a priority so what do we what do we do because there's a huge trap here if you don't put things that have to be dealt with at the top of the page first thing in the morning, then there's always going to be something else that takes precedence and the important things don't get done. And you've got to remember that the important thing is that the important thing stays the important thing. So how do you deal with the fact That you you want to focus on building your business, but you also have to focus on your family. You also have to focus on your faith. Well, the answer is a covenantal commitment. What's the difference between a contract and a commitment? Well, you know that. A contract is a promise between two parties. But a covenant involves at least one other party. So that's one of the reasons that we always speak about the holy covenant of marriage. Why don't we just say the contract of marriage, which is what it really is, right? A man and woman making an agreement to be exclusive to one another, etc., etc. Why do we say covenant? Because most people realize that marriage involves three parties the bride, the groom, and God, in whose eyes the couple is married. But you know what? Marriage also involves covenantal relationships with siblings. And the in laws and friends, which by the way is why divorce, when it tragically happens, impacts the entire family, not just the husband and wife. It's a calamity for everybody because the original connection was through covenant. Well, when you make a covenantal commitment to build your business, you're involving your family and perhaps God as well. So you can bring everyone in on your commitment. This way, they're not only witnesses to your commitment, but also facilitators to you in keeping that commitment. In other words, keep those who are most important to you in the picture. Let them know in in an almost official, formal way. You know, you you could have board meetings, except they really are family meetings, but they have to do with business, so they're a board meeting. And you tell your your spouse and your children what the plans are, what the timeline is, what you're intending to, to do to bring about these results. Ask them for advice. Ask them for ways in which they could help. Update them regularly on successes and, and setbacks. And they will want you to succeed. And because they're part of the covenant, your success is also their success. And that way, you can integrate your life around your priority. Will there be times you have to disconnect from work and just spend special time with your spouse or with your children? Yeah, of course. Will there be special times you spend time with your, uh, in prayer with your church fellows? Sure, absolutely. But you will return to business in a renewed and revitalized and refreshed way. Now let's come to Rabbi Daniel and rule number two. Know what you do for people and proudly proclaim it. right know what you do for people and let people know about it when we serve other people it's a way of serving God it's a way of serving God's other children and in the same way that you are happy when other people do nice things for your children God is happy when we do nice things for his other children that's called customer service but now you have to make certain that everyone in your circle, everyone you meet, every new friend you make knows what you could do for them. And I don't mean that, that you must become obnoxious and, and self-promote yourself constantly. No, it's just that everybody should be aware of what it is that you do for your fellow human beings. That way, job offers come your way, deals and transactions come your way opportunities to serve other people come your way you know there was uh, a time when jews uh, used to only use names that indicated what their occupations were so uh, goldsmith uh, silverman wasserman used to be the village water supplier by the way uh, and so on and federman i mean there are so many jewish names that come from the occupations that the owners of those names practiced. And that way, it was like walking around with your business card stapled to your forehead. Whoever you introduced yourself to or whomever you were introduced to immediately knew what business you were in just because of your name. Well, that's a terrific system. I'm not suggesting we adopt that. But I am uh, uh, um, insisting that we don't be coy about what we do. We let people know about it. And you should sound enthusiastic and excited about it, even more enthusiastic and ex- more excited than maybe you really are. But that's still worth doing. And so um, this is one of the, the reasons that, you know, when you meet somebody for the first time, whether it's sitting next to somebody on an airplane or a bus or whatever it is, you start talking. Very often the first question people ask is, you know, what do you do? and really the question they are asking the hidden question is how do you help other human beings and uh, once you've clarified for people just how it is you can help them you'd be surprised how often people will approach you this is the secret to the noble art of advertising just how you do it of course is 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 something that you will figure out but please give it serious and creative thought and then Finally, let's come to the, the last of the rules for this particular show. I said I was going to give you three. There are many, many others, many of which are found, by the way, in the books I was talking about on my website, Business Secrets from the Bible, uh, though the subtitle is Success Strategies, Spiritual Success Strategies for Financial Abundance and the other one, Thou Shall Prosper, the Ten Commandments for Making Money. Uh, but anyway, here's the, uh, the the last one for today. Develop your most important business-building organ. Now, what is your most important business-building organ? It's your mouth. Because business happens when human beings communicate, collaborate, and create. And all of that takes place when the mouth has the ability to effectively communicate. And so uh, being able to hold a conversation, being able to talk compellingly about what you do and what you can do, all of this becomes incredibly valuable in building your business. And so how do you do that? Well, there are a number of ways to improve your ability to communicate. One of them is all I'm going to have time to share with you for today, but uh, it will, I guarantee you, dramatically improve your ability to communicate. Um, What you have to do is very simple. It's a little bit, makes you feel a little self-conscious, but what you need to do is you need to practice three times a week, half an hour every time, minimum, right? An hour and a half a week divided into three times, half an hour each, reading aloud from a good book. It could be the good book if you want, but it could be any good book. And pick a book that sounds the way you wished you would sound, okay? So for heaven's sake, you know, don't pick up a trashy novel. Uh, And then you go ahead, lock yourself somewhere away privately where no one will disturb you, and go ahead and read aloud because when your own ears hear your own tongue and mouth and lips articulating those words your fluency, your vocabulary, your ease, your gift of the gab, as they usually say, it's right around the corner. Uh, It's amazing how quickly you will see the results of this. You're basically giving your mouth a communicative workout three times a week. And just like any other muscle in the body, uh, practice makes it stronger. And uh, furthermore, as I said, your ears start hearing yourself, and that builds a loop, a feedback loop back into your brain. And uh, this, by the way, is exactly how Abraham Lincoln transformed himself from a timid and ineffective speaker into the man who delivered the Gettysburg Address. So um, those are the three uh, steps based on the spirituality of business uh, and And they are, are really very important. The first one is that internal one of making that commitment to success in a way that cannot fail. In other words, engaging your partners, both human and divine, in a covenantal commitment. That's number one. Number two, make sure that you tell others of your eagerness and your ability to serve them, right? I, I always say that uh, that one of the main causes of poverty, And it it disturbs people when I say it because it's true, and uh, the truth sometimes hurts. But one of the main contributors to poverty is not capitalism or racism or government or systemic anything. No, it's an inability to get up every morning and get to work on time and smile at customers and take orders cheerfully from a boss and deliver more than you're asked to do. Failure and inability to do those things, particularly being able to take orders cheerfully. People can't do that today. A lot of people can't do that. And so, uh, uh, if you're not able to reveal your eagerness to serve others, well, it's not going to work. And then finally, one of the most spiritual tools that we have is our ability to talk, our ability to communicate. And that is our mouth. And the uh, I'm, I'm, I've shared with you today one way of improving its effectiveness. Uh, please give it a shot. I know not everybody's going to do these things, obviously, but I will tell you that those of you who do within four to six weeks are going to truly be astounded, as will people you interact with who will notice it. And uh, I'd love you to drop me a note. Uh, you can do it e- most easily at my website at rabbi com. There's a contact us. And uh, I wish you would let me know how that goes. Would you, would you do that? Here are three principles. And you can implement them. It doesn't matter if you own a business or if you work in somebody else's business. But these are three tools you can implement for expanding your growth and your revenue. It really really does work. And I'd love to hear from you after you've applied these principles and, uh, and, de- and derived the benefit that they deliver in your business affairs. So please do go to rabbidaniellappin.com and let me know how things are going. I find it enormously encouraging when I hear from you with uh, testimonials, in a sense, where basically you confirm that I have served you. That's what we're talking about. That's the goal. And while you're at the website, rabbidaniellappin.com, not only to send me a note, but also to uh, take a look at the books that are available at the store and be aware that for the next few days, for listeners of this show, uh, free delivery, free shipping. You don't have to spend money on getting them to you. And the code to use for that is "ship free." One word, right? "Ship free," and uh, you just enter that at the checkout process, and you will not be charged for shipping. com is the uh, uh, is the website, and there are uh, books on marriage, there are books on money, there are books on faith. There's a lot of stuff there. Uh, not as much as there will be by the end of the year, but right now there's a bunch of stuff and you will uncertain un, un, unquestionably find something that is valuable to you. And when you do, you will acquire it and make you happy and me, both of us at the same time. And what could be better than that? Well, that's as far as we can go, unfortunately, for today, my friends. And uh, so that means that until next week, I wish you a week of good health, and prosperity. I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin. God bless.